Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated as we continue. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Mountain Park Church. We are so glad that you're here. My name is Alan. Before I get started, I just want to uh, celebrate a young couple here in our uh, church. Uh, if you're married, just think about how long you've been married. Think about the, the, how, how many years you've been married. And, you know, for some of you, uh-oh, do I know? Is it 16? Is it 15? Uh, but just think about how many years you've been married. And just think about the fact that there is a young couple uh, here in our church that this week celebrated 60 years of marriage. So congratulations, Tony and Leona. 60 years. Awesome. They got married when they were nine. It was, it was an incredible story. Incredible story. So anyway, congratulations to you both. It's awesome. Awesome. Did you all know that there is a document, a historical document that has been foundational to all American law? It's not a large document. It's actually a small document, but it has actually influenced all of the American laws that we interact with that are a part of our lives. It's a document that was not uh, created by the founding fathers, but the founding fathers certainly were familiar with this document, and it was part of, of their assembling of the Constitution and how the whole thing was going to be set up. Again, they didn't write it, but they were familiar with it. John Quincy Adams was the sixth president of the United States. He was the son of John Adams. And he was known to say that, that it is a necessity for any nation throughout the world, not just the United States, but any nation in the world to, to, that has any code of laws that it used this document as part of the foundation of, of, its, of its journey. It's an incredible document. And this, this document was actually celebrated and, and, um, and uh, set up in a, in a number of courthouses across the United States. It was, it's, it was on display and just honoring and celebrating the importance of this document. Actually, no, it was on display in a number of courthouses until recently when in 2015 the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court said that it was not constitutional to display that document that was foundational to all American law. You, of course, know what that document is. The Ten Commandments. It is banned. It was banned from being on public state courthouses because it, because it is a religious document. But it is not possible to measure the significance and the influence of that document on the American system of law and law throughout the world. It is incredible to, to think about the influence of this one document. We are in a series that we started last week called The Law, and we're looking at the first half of the Old Testament, the foundation of the story of God, and seeing how important and relevant the, the law has been throughout that journey. Last week, I talked about the very first law that God gave. We find it in Genesis chapter 2, where God said to Adam and Eve, you can enjoy any of the fruit from any of the trees here in the garden. Enjoy, but you have to stay away from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God understood that we need to have boundaries. We need to have laws. We need to have limitations. He was kind of setting the groundwork for other laws that would come. 
And so the idea is we need limitations and, ba- and, and boundaries. And so God said, I'm going to get started with one tree in the middle of this beautiful garden. Now, this morning, we are many generations from that. Israel is now, they estimate it was about 2 million people as they left Israel and began their journey in the desert. And that's when they encountered these 10 laws from God that have had incredible influence not only in the United States, but on the entire world. We're going to walk through the Ten Commandments a little bit here this morning. As we head into that, would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you that we get to come into this place, that we get to think about you, that we get to set apart this time with all the pressures and all the things that are going on this week. This is about you, God, that you you set things up thousands of years ago for a reason. So we want to tap into that. We want to think about that. We want to experience that. We want to receive the wisdom that comes from that. We pray that you would meet us here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, I made the observation that we all think that there is such a thing as right and wrong. I've never met somebody who doesn't think there's no such thing as right and wrong, but we will always disagree in terms of what right and wrong is, what exactly is the line between right and wrong. Another way of saying that is that we all get to set the bar wherever we want in terms of morality. It's based on our understanding of Scripture, our influence from our parents, whatever religion we are part of, whatever kind of things we're reading and influences from other people, etc., political points of view, whatever. We get to take all of that information and we set the bar wherever we want. There is some level of appeal to setting that bar low to saying, okay, uh, if I'm going to set up right and wrong, I'm going to lower the bar a little bit so that I can uh, more easily get over it. If you are a high jumper, there might be some level of pleasure to say, okay, I'm going to start here. I'm going to start with the bar here, and I'm going to do, I didn't even stretch this morning, but I'm going to come and I'm going to go, da, 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 da. I did it. I did it. I'm so excited. I am a perfect high jumper. So far today, I am three for three. I am 100% perfect as a high jumper. You're impressed, aren't you? I am good at this. There's some, there's some tendency that we have in terms of morality and right or wrong to say, if I keep the bar low enough, then I can stay perfect. I can, keep, I can do everything right. And so if I just, I can be a good person if I keep the bar low enough. This is why tolerance is so popular. To be able to say, I'm okay, you're okay, he's okay, she's okay, and that's okay. And so who am I to tell you what is right and wrong? Who are you to tell them what is right and wrong? And so if we, if we just embrace tolerance then there's just, it's just so much easier to get along. Marty Rubin is a political activist and someone who is against uh, religion, and he, he was quoted as saying, we need a new religion, a global religion based on one simple principle, live and let live. Let go of these Ten Commandments stuff. Can we just start with, with live and let live? We can just keep the bar low enough and all will be fine, all will be well. But God has an encounter with Moses. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai 
And God says, I want to give you these Ten Commandments, this list to get started. Thank you, Jim. He says this list is, is not going to be easy. It's not going to be basic. It's going to be a high standard. And I want to set the groundwork not only for the nation of Israel, but for nations to follow in terms of having this high standard. You've got to understand Israel, prior to this, had no set of laws. They, they didn't have any standards. The bar was super low for Israel. They didn't have a set of laws. And so they could interact and just look at somebody and say, you know what? I want your wife. So I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to take your wife. And so, well, we think that's ridiculous. How could anyone live that way? We think it's ridiculous because because there's a, there's a basic human decency that we assume people interact with, that we are living with. That there's a basic human decency that, that you have value and she has value and he has value. Where does that basic human decency come from? Where do we get that from? Because we're not born with it. There's no such thing as innate human law that we're born with and poof, it's just there. You watch two-year-olds on a playground. They don't naturally just, no, you take it, you have it, you had it first. That's not the way it works. It's just, oh, you have something I want. I'm going to take it. I was unhappy. Now I'm happy. Done, done deal. So the Israelites, essentially, they didn't have any law. The bar was low. They just didn't have a sense of what was right and wrong. And God came, had this interaction with Moses and says, I'm going to set the standard to the point where you can't jump over that bar. God says, I have a plan for you that is extraordinary. You will stand out among all the other nations. I'm not gonna bump this thing up a foot and make it still be manageable for you. This is gonna be a world-changing set of laws God provided. Commandment one, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, we might read that commandment and go, whew, it's starting off easy. Because most of us were thinking, I don't, I don't worship three or four gods. I don't have a list of three or four gods that, that I sing to and read about and pray to and think about on a regular basis. I just have the one God. But we break this commandment. We knock this bar over whenever we put anything in that top place, top priority in our lives. Whenever we put anything, any hobby, any collection, any sport, any person, our children, our portfolio, our, our future security, etc., anything that we put in that top place and say, that is top priority for me. That's where my security comes from. That's what I'm prioritizing above all else. Anytime we do that, we knock this bar over. When we find a couple hours in a day or in the evening before we go to bed and we're just zooming through social media and we're looking at pictures and, and reading up on every other person we've ever known in the world because it's all so fascinating. Or we're, we're going on YouTube and we're just going after video after video because it just sends us to another idea and another idea and another idea. And we just keep on watching. Oh, I just lost track of time. That was so much fun. But then we say, I can't wake up in the morning and spend 15 minutes with God. 
praying or reading the Bible. I just don't have time for that kind of thing. There's no way that can fit in there. It's those kinds of things that we stumble in day after day after day where we just put something else to say, this is more important than God. When we do that, we knock that bar down. Now, let me just be real clear. None of us get past commandment number one. Okay? It's not like we go after the commandments and say, let's see how far I can get. None of us get past commandment number one. Jesus is the only one who could handle even commandment number one. And so the idea here is is not that we say, okay, well, then it's too high. I got no excuse. I'm going to walk underneath this thing all the time anyway, so why would I even try? Well, that's not the point. God says, because I want to set a standard here, and I want you to have a a greater understanding of, of of what right and wrong is. I want you to strive for something. I want you to strive for holiness. I want you to strive for this. I want to keep the standard high. I don't know if any of you, you look at these, this bar and just kind of think, I, I could do that. I could do that. The idea God says is, is no, it's not, it's not about us deciding whether or not we can do it. That as he walks through the commandments, the idea is you can't do it. You can't jump over that bar. Commandment number two is you shall not make for yourself an idol. And, and you know, we... We might look at that and once again think, well, I don't have a golden calf at home. I don't have a golden calf off on a mantle that I worship. The first commandment is about who we worship. This second commandment is about how we worship. And the way that we worship, we have different tools for how we do that. One example of worship is singing here on Sunday morning. It's not obviously not the only way that we worship, but it's one example of how we participate together in worship. And we don't have a golden calf, but we have other tools that we use in order to worship. And sometimes we get mixed up on the priority of the tool versus the one that the tool is directing us to. But what I mean by that is, is sometimes in terms of, of worship tools and choices that we make here as a church or other churches make or whatever, sometimes we have a response to say, I can't worship with those kinds of songs. I can't, I can't. Then we're focusing on the tool when we do that. I can't worship with those slow songs. It's just so slow, and I just can't connect with God on something like that. Or I can't worship with those peppy songs. I mean, just we just kind of slow this thing down. I need to be able to, to think and meditate on these words. I can't, I can't worship when, when those people are singing. I can worship when, when he is singing and she is singing, but I can't worship when, when she's singing because she's a little pitchy. So it just, it's distracting. So I can't connect with a God whatsoever in a situation like that. I, I can't worship when there's lights flashing around, spinning around. This is what we had a rock concert, all these kids and their lights. I can't worship with stuff like that. I can't worship when I come into a room and there's some people who are raising their hands. Ooh, well, we think we're some kind of charismatic church and, and, and you're all drawing the attention to yourself. You got both hands, not just one. You're a double lifter and I just can't worship when people like that. Or you come in and you say, I can't worship when there's only a few people who are raising their hands. I can't worship with that because, because where the Holy Spirit is, the hands are lifted. The Holy Spirit is a hand lifter. And so, so I can't worship when the hands aren't raised up in the air. 
different things that we might say. We focus on the tool. We zone in on the tool. Now, don't get me wrong. The band works very hard. DeAndre and the crew, they work very hard so that we can have excellence in terms of our music and worship, but not so that they become the focus, but so that they are excellent at leading us to the one that we're worshiping. That's why they work hard at all this and choose songs and, and have you know, extra support for all of this. Hopefully, so all of this stuff allows us to just think about God because it's not about the tool. And when we make it about the tool and we trip over the tool and focus on the tool and fight about the tool and leave churches because of the tool, then we're making it an idol. Instead of worshiping and connecting with the one who's the object of our worship. All right. Commandment number three, do not misuse the name of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I, for years I have cringed when people, I, I don't mind words, I don't mind cuss words, I can handle, I can bounce around, I went to a public school, I'm good. Uh, uh, but I cringe when people in real life or on TV or movies, when, when, they, when they say things like, Jesus Christ, I just, I just cringe with that. Not because of commandment number three, but because I love Jesus. And so I think I would cringe if, if they used another name that I care about. If they used my wife's name when they're upset about something and they used her name, I would think, that's, that's ridiculous. She had nothing to do with that. It's your fault. You hit your thumb. And so there's a part of that that, that, that makes me, you know, this very uncomfortable for me. But I think sometimes we reduce commandment number three to be, that those kinds of words. If we could just not cuss, if we could just be a people that say shoot, then then you know then we're good Christians. Then we we can handle that commandment number three. I think there's so much more to this than than the cuss words that we might choose to use. There's so much more to this. Do not misuse the name of the Lord. I believe very strongly that what this means is that we are not to attach the name of God to something that is not God. We are not to attach something, attach the name of God to something that is not God. There's a phrase that, that I, I, I don't know when I've ever used this phrase. It's a churchy phrase that I think we should be very careful with. I'm very leery when I hear it from other people, and I, I try hard not to think or say, uh, uh, say something that starts with, the Lord told me that you, dot, dot, dot. Be very careful with that phrase. Yes, God speaks to us. God speaks to us on a regular basis. God speaks to you. God speaks to me. But more often than not, when God speaks to us, when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, it's about my own conviction and what's going on in my own life. We should be very cautious when we think the Lord has spoken to me about you. We run the risk of misusing the name of the Lord. It can be spiritually abusive. I would say, um, if there are any single ladies here, that if a Christian man ever came up to you and said, the Lord told me, that you are supposed to date me. <laughs> Run away is what I would say. <laughs> Run away. I, I would give you permission, this isn't biblical, but I would give you permission to say the Lord told me that you were going to say that and that I should say no. That's, that's how I would say that. We, we tend to do this in all sorts of ways. We attach something to God's name that wasn't intended 
to be there. It's possible to do this with Scripture in all sorts of ways. A pothead might think that Jesus endorses smoking marijuana. See, now I have your attention, don't I? Some of you, I lost you for a while, but you're back. Welcome back. Might believe that Jesus endorses marijuana by quoting John chapter 6, verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. I've also heard people use Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, as evidence that there are no women in heaven. Revelation chapter 8. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, now before... Some of you walk out. I'm, just, I'm not saying that. I don't believe it. I'm just saying some people use Scripture in ways like that. If I may use a significantly more legitimate example. Some people land on 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. Some people read that as a safety net for morality and say, I can do whatever I want. Because it says clearly there, I can do whatever I want as long as I confess, then everything's gonna be okay. I've got this freedom cycle. Do whatever I want, confess, it's all okay. That's not what God is saying through John here. We are not to attach God's name to something that is not God. Commandment number four. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. I just think this is so fascinating that this is not a suggestion in Scripture. This is, this is not a good idea like flossing. You, you don't see flossing. It, you won't. I just, if you don't know the Ten Commandments, you're not going to see it anywhere on, the, on this list. It's a great idea. But this here... Taking a, taking a day of rest is the fourth commandment. What that means is that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you believe that this, this whole story that God had set up through the nation of Israel and then through the second half of the Old Testament that there would one day become, become a Messiah and that you believe Jesus is that Messiah and you have chosen to follow that Jesus, if you embrace this story, then that means there must be a day of rest for you. There must be a day that is set apart. That's what the word holy means. A day that is set apart from the other days. Not just an hour here, an hour there, not a nap on Wednesday afternoon. But that there is a commandment from God who understands our hearts and our minds and our bodies way more than any doctor could. Who says we need rest. And so for us to say, I'm just too busy. I can't, I can't, I'm just too, I don't have time to take that kind of rest. We are breaking the fourth commandment. When we choose not to take that day of rest, we're knocking that bar over. We're just knocking it over. The fifth commandment is to honor your father and your mother. In the New Testament, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest of all the commandments? And he famously responds by summarizing the commandments, not just the Ten Commandments, but all of the hundreds of commandments in the Old Testament. He summarizes it by, I'll summarize his summary, but basically he says, love God and love others. 
He summarizes it, says two things. Have a vertical connection with God and a horizontal connection with other people. What I find fascinating with the Ten Commandments is that the first five commandments are about loving God and the second five commandments are about loving others. There's, there's, a, there's an intentionality to this whole plan. I used to think that the breakdown was commandments one to four were about loving God and then commandments six through ten were about loving others. But I've come to believe that this fifth commandment is about loving God. And the reason for that is that when we are young, when we are little, it's not reasonable to think that we have a concept of an omniscient spiritual being who created all. It's not reasonable to think that we have a concept of that. Children have an amazing imagination, but to understand that this is a true living God is just... It's just a whole lot to ask of a child. But what a child understands is mom and dad. And so a child hopefully grows up to have some kind of sense. Mom and dad are never perfect. But to have some kind of sense of, I love mom and dad. I trust mom and dad. I honor mom and dad. And when that child grows up, there is a transfer from the love and the trust and the honor of mom and dad as the relationship between child and and parent turns into a, a more mature adult relationship, that love and trust and honor shifts to our Father in heaven, which is why it is imperative for us to honor our fathers and mothers because that's how we learn how to ultimately honor and follow our Father in heaven. This is also why um, here at Mountain Park, we practice a believer's baptism, an adult baptism. It's a beautiful, amazing thing when children want to be baptized. And, and I've had my kids, you know, at different stages, just, oh, I want to get baptized, I want to get baptized. But, but we need to be very careful. As beautiful as that is, we want to be cautious with that. When children want to come and, and be baptized, we want to have a conversation with the family about what's going on. Because what often happens, not in, not in every case, but what often happens with a, with a young child who wants to be baptized is they don't have their own faith. They have their parents' faith. That from their perspective, they love mom and dad. And mom and dad love God. And so they want to be baptized. But, but there is a spiritual development piece that they haven't experienced yet. They haven't transitioned their faith. It's, it's really their parents' faith. They haven't transitioned to their own faith yet. And that can happen at different ages with different children and different settings and scenarios. And so the idea is that we want to make sure that the honor is connected to the Father in heaven. Fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. And this isn't just when we're kids. This continues on for a whole life. When we ignore our parents. Now, when we get older, we don't have to do what they say, you know, but we do have to honor them. We have to call them, think about them, pray for them, be mindful of them. Because when we don't, we knock that bar over. Honor your father and mother. Now I want to flip to the second half of the commandments, the, 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 the last five. And these are about how we love one another, how we connect with one another. 
God wanted to, to set this nation of Israel up to be unlike any other nation that the world had ever known, that they would stand out because of how they treated one another. In order to do that, God said, I'm going to identify five things that are of great importance, great value to all human beings. And, and God says, I want to, to res- preserve the rights of humanity with these five basic things in terms of, of how people are to live life as part of the Ten Commandments. He says, these are five things. I believe these are five things. God says, these must be protected. These are valuable things that must be protected. First of which, commandment number six, you shall not murder. Life must be protected. Human life must be protected. This commandment has been historically uh, uh, you know, the word that is used there has been the word kill for, uh, for most of the past 2,000 years. It has uh, changed to murder. Some cultures, some backgrounds still, uh, some traditions still use the word kill. I'm not going to spend time here today separating the difference between kill and murder. Um, it does merit our time, but that's not what we're doing here today. Uh, and as we talk, you know, we're not going to talk about um, when it is okay to take someone else's life and, and, and such. The, the push on this, the drive on this, is the value for human life. That all life must be protected. All life. The people that you struggle with, the people who have hurt you, wronged you, the people who are forgotten here in our city, the people who are impoverished in other parts of the world, all life is to be protected. Commandment number seven says you shall not commit adultery. I don't think this commandment is about sex. I don't think it's about pornography. I don't think it's about the many ways that we pervert this incredible gift that God has given us. Scripture talks about that in many different ways throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. I think this commandment is about protecting the family. I think this this commandment is about protecting the family and saying we are going to be together for 60 years. Protecting the family and saying, saying, this is the backbone of a healthy society. The family must stay together. Just, we got to work it out. We got to do all that we can to stay together, to fight for the family remaining together. We will work on it. We will not go outside of this in order to satisfy our desires to other places. God set this up thousands of years ago. Just said, it is the backbone. The family must be protected. Commandment number eight, you shall not steal. This, of course, it just means taking something that doesn't belong to you. It's a real simple one. It's one of the simpler ones to understand, very clear. And the, the bonus is that, that very few people here in this room are going to struggle with this. I mean, I, don't, I look around, I don't see any robbers here. Do we call them robbers, cops and robbers? I don't see anybody who, who you know, tends to put masks down over their face and say, stick them up and all that. We, we don't struggle with this one because we, we never steal supplies from work. We never kind of fudge things on our taxes. We never work fewer hours than what we're actually paid for. We never buy, you know, get a water for free at a restaurant and then fill it up with ice and Coke. We, we never... 
watch a movie on some sort of platform that we didn't pay for. We never take uh, songs that, that we weren't a part of the system for the iTunes thing. We never put them on our iPod. We never do stuff like that. So fortunately, we're clear on number eight. Let's move on. No, the... I just think it's important to see in these Ten Commandments that God values stuff. You know, we often talk about uh, stuff and kind of put a negative spin on it, but, but you work for stuff. We, we get to enjoy stuff. God wants us to enjoy the stuff, and he protects it by saying as one of the commandments, it's not just that you are not supposed to steal, but there's a flip side to this and all other commandments. You are supposed to be protected from somebody else taking your stuff, that, that, that a, a healthy society honors other people's possessions and stuff and what people have worked for. We can't take it with us, but while we're here, God says, that should be protected. And when we don't, we knock the bar down. Commandment number nine, you shall not give false testimony. Again, this is so amazing that at the very beginning of of civilization, God said, if we're going to have a system of laws, if we're going to have a judicial system from which we are to decide how to figure things out and decide who gets what and who's right about what, and when we can't agree, we've got to have some kind of system. If we're going to have a system of law, then it requires us to trust the testimony of those who are helping us understand what happened. It's just amazing that, that this judicial system that we lean on is, is grounded in the Ten Commandments. We have to be able to trust the testimony that people give. And so you, you, you are not allowed to give false testimony. This is a huge, huge issue. And I think what God is protecting here is something that's very important to all of us, our reputation. Our reputation should not be destroyed, tainted, squashed because of false testimony. If we mess up, and that affects our reputation, but it's the truth, well, that's, that's one thing. But our reputation should be protected with this commandment, that somebody should not give false testimony, something that is untrue about you, and then it affects you, it hurts you, it does damage to you and other relationships. God wants to protect this stuff. He doesn't just want to stop you from giving false testimony. He wants to protect you from somebody else giving false testimony about you. God's love is pouring over the Ten Commandments. The Tenth Commandment is you shall not covet. This one is a little bit different. The last four in this list of five are very tangible. They're things that you can do, things that you say. You can measure them. You can talk about them. You can say, yes, I did that. No, I did not do that. There's some level of clarity with all that. But now when we get to covet, we're going to the inside. We're talking about what's happening in the heart. Because it's not just what we do and what we say, it's about what we want, what we think, what we desire. It just, God in the 10th commandment is going inside. And it could be said that this is the one that leads to all the other four on the, on the second half of this list. That it's when we covet, that's when we say, I want somebody who's not, who I'm not married to. It's when we covet, we say, I want that item that is not mine. I want to get away with something, and so I want somebody to give false, false witness so that I can get away with something. The covet, when we do that, when we, just, when we long for something, want something, and, and, we, and we 
break some of these other commandments in order to do it, all of that, even the desire for it is knocking the bar down. God set up these 10 foundational ideas with the nation of Israel and wanted them to be unlike any nation that the world had ever known. He set them up with, with, these, with these 10 ideas, with these 10 commandments, saying, I want you to be set apart. God's saying, God's saying, if, if you can look at these 10 commandments and, and, you can, and you can jump over this bar based on your own strength, if you can, if you can cover all of this stuff and, and make sure you're clear on all that, you can jump over this bar, then you don't need me. You're fine without me. You're perfectly fine without me. But if you see these 10 commandments, this high standard, and, and your foot keeps knocking this bar, or maybe it's not your foot, maybe it's, it's your face, because you're not even close. If you're like most of us with the Ten Commandments, it's not even close. Then God says, that's what I want you to understand. I want you to see we are not even close to the perfection, the standard that God has for us. And this is when God says, this is so I want you to come to me. Don't, don't run and hide from me. Come to me. Trust me. I will give you the wisdom that you're looking for. Come. Walk with me day by day. Step by step, Jesus later on says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come to me, those of you who want to embrace the high standards of God, but you cannot. And so come to me and I will fill in that gap for you. I will help you over that bar. These Ten Commandments have shaped the world immeasurably, and they are still relevant. They still matter. Yes, we have a new covenant, and Jesus has come and shed light on it. Now we have a new filter for all of the laws and commandments. But these 10 foundational ideas still matter. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that... uh, I pray there's something in these words, in these 10 ancient, amazing, beautiful ideas that would uh, connect with each person here. God, I pray that even right now, there's one of these 10 that everyone here in this room or anyone watching or has access to this would just think, okay, that one I don't give much attention to. God, would you help us to to embrace the beauty of these words, that this is still part of your story. This is part of how you want us to understand who you are and your amazing love for us. That you don't want to control us. You want to have relationship with us. You want to be in community with us. You want us to come to you and say, God, help me out with commandment number X. Help me out with this. I want to be the man. I want to be the woman that you've designed me to be. We pray these things in the amazing name of your son, Jesus.